Hey everybody, you are tuned to Deep Dive, the All Music Books podcast, where we talk to authors of music books, bios, histories, and criticism. I'm your host, Steve J. Today's guest is author Greg Prato, who has written The Yacht Rock Book, the oral history of the soft, smooth sounds of the 70s and 80s. Welcome, Greg. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So there's a question that you ask early in your book, and it's one that I certainly had and may still have. What the heck is Yacht Rock? <laughs> well, I've heard it referred to as sometimes AM Gold. I also like to think of it as the perfect soundtrack if you were a millionaire back in the 70s on a yacht while snorting cocaine and surrounded by a bunch of beautiful bikini-clad models. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. And to that end, Sirius Radio now has a summer yacht rock station, and the tagline is the kind of rock that doesn't rock the boat. It also promises, like the return of white pants after Memorial Day, yacht rock is back. Uh, <laughs> I've never worn white pants, but that, that sounds kind of like the antithesis of rock and roll, isn't it? I remember my parents would be listening to the radio and all these songs would come on. I wasn't really aware of like you know different styles of different kinds of rock music. Early in the 80s, I became a devout heavy metal fan, and then throughout the years, I leaned pretty much towards the more like hard rocking stuff. I then you know later discovered grunge and punk rock, and then I started branching out to all different styles of music, be it jazz or funk. When I discovered this whole entire yacht rock genre, I was reminded about how much I really liked these songs when I was younger, and listening to them now, I have to say I really can appreciate this music, and I find myself listening to this music a lot again. Just for the simple fact that it's written very well, played very well. It's perfect music just to put on in the background. If you're at a party or you're eating a uh, very nice romantic dinner. For that reason, I think it's definitely experienced a resurgence. You can go from listening to the Bad Brains to listening to Christopher Cross, listening to Gigi Allen, listening to the Eagles. I mean, it's a pretty wide variety of uh, styles people listen to nowadays. That's for sure. You know, punk rock for me, heavy metal for you. That's kind of a rough romantic dinner soundtrack. So in all seriousness, though, I read a piece in The Guardian by a young woman recently, and she had just discovered Yacht Rock. And she wrote, no wonder my parents' generation loved it so much. They were raising kids during a time filled with recession and energy crisis, record unemployment strikes and slashes in education spending. So is it also just pure escapism? I could be. I mean, for me personally... My favorite rock band of all time is Queen, and I can see a bit of a comparison with Queen to Yacht Rock being so much that a lot of these Yacht Rock artists wrote and sang and played, well, actually wrote and sang the material. They actually uh, relied a lot on uh, studio help. It's also like similar to Queen. It's very, very well produced. I kind of see the comparison. So perhaps that's what I find so adoring and also appealing about Yacht Rock. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison because it's a resurgence that both have seen and totally get what you're saying about, you know, the level of musicianship and, and those kinds of things. So let's talk a bit about the music and its birth and resurgence. Some say that early Seals and Crofts were the proto-yacht rock band, and Fred Armisen writes in the introduction to your book, and he name-checks them as well. Right. It seems also 72 or 73, is that kind of the start of, of what's considered yacht rock now? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint it. But yeah, I would actually, I would uh, agree with that. I mean, you, you could also say it began someplace in the 60s with maybe Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, or even like the Birds, or like the bands that were doing a lot of like, you know, vocal harmonies and stuff like that. That could also be at least the roots of it. I would probably go along with Seals and Crofts was probably the first true, true yacht rock band. 
what would you consider the essential traits? I know that there's a couple of different scenes that develop. It seems that there are some essential stylings. Yeah, I would say essential stylings would probably be the quality of musicianship has to be very high. I'm not talking about shredding type solos. Also, vocal harmonies, lyrics that usually related somehow to, I guess, love. And it also wouldn't hurt if you somehow had Michael McDonald involved somehow. (laughs) Well, the word smooth always seems to come into play in the marketing of it anyway. Almost every single musician in your book lists the Beach Boys as a major influence as well. Ah, yes, yes. It seems that's particularly for the vocal harmonies and also, like you said, the production. Yes, absolutely. The Beach Boys were a very, very big part of the birth of Yacht Rock. There's that classic solo album by Dennis Wilson that came out in the 70s, Pacific Ocean Blue. That's considered one of the top Yacht Rock albums, or as far as an album that definitely contributed to the genre at the time, because it came out in the late 70s. Yeah, so I'm absolutely uh, all for the Beach Boys. Is Yacht Rock just beach music grown up or perhaps revisited during middle age? I mean, it did have a period where it wasn't really recognized and it's come around again. You could say that just about any genre. When you look at, for instance, uh, heavy metal, you know, it was very popular in the 70s and 80s. The 90s, it took a complete nosedive after grunge. Right. People thought it was totally done in the late 90s, early 2000s. Ozfest totally gave it a kick in the pants that it needed. The bottom line is music and genres seem to come in and out of popularity from time to time. You could look at any band, too, like Kiss or Queen. They've had incredible peaks of popularity, then complete dips. That's pretty much the same with just about any artist or uh, movement. We spoke of two distinct periods of Yacht Rock. The first one was kind of more defined by California folk and Laurel Canyon scenes. You mentioned Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and perhaps Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys. Is that the first birth? Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good place to pinpoint as the birth. So the second one, it really gets a bit more varied. And as a young kid, this was probably right when I discovered punk rock, so I kind of leaned the other way. But it has more of a prog, jazz, light feeling, you know, with bands like Firefall, Ambrosia, Toto, Bod Skaggs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Th- uh, that, I think, came more in towards the mid to late 70s. I think that whole prog uh, edge came into that. Right, right. And that was probably heavily influenced, like you said, by the session musicians. Yes, yeah. I would say as soon as you get session musicians involved, then pretty naturally, then the quality of the musicianship skyrockets. Then at that point, if they have any input into a song, little tricky bits start finding their way in. But as far as bands like Ambrosia and Firefall, I mean, those were pretty much set bands. So it wasn't, you know, that it was just a singer with a bunch of session musicians. Probably each Yacht Rock artist is, you know, different. I would agree that it was with the influx of session musicians, then suddenly song structures became a little more complicated. So I learned a lot from your book, but one of the things I wanted to ask you are some of these bands, and just from an outsider's perspective who's, who didn't really follow them, were they mostly one-hit wonders, or did they go pretty deep? Like now, if you listen to Yacht Rock, are there songs that are, are deep catalog? You know, you could really make the argument both ways. Bands like, for instance, Steely Dan is considered Yacht Rock. Eagles are considered Yacht Rock. Fleetwood Mac is considered by some to be Yacht Rock. And I mean, those are pretty big, huge bands, you know? Mm-hmm. But then by the same token, you have bands like uh, Orleans, Pablo Cruz, Firefall that are kind of looked upon as either one-hit wonders or two or maybe three-hit wonders, you know? Right, right. It's probably about 50-50. And then, of course, people consider Oh No to be Got Rock, and they're a very popular band, as well as you mentioned Toto before and also the uh, Doobie Brothers. 
Right. And the Doobie Brothers kind of crossed into both periods. And for me, and you mentioned it before, it's got to be the Michael McDonald stuff that dominates a Yacht Rock conversation. The older Doobies was, you know, a bit of a different ball of wax, you know, more kind of California biker badass than, than Yacht. But Michael McDonald is that sound, isn't he? Yes, I would say Michael McDonald, uh, when he appeared with his kick-ass beard, that was when they were. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the beard and the stylings, because that, that's a whole nother level. One of the funniest things in your book that I've found is the disagreements and kind of narrow slotting of what is and isn't yacht rock. And it, it led to a subgenre that's geniusly titled Nyat Rock. Right. Can you f- fill us in on that? Yes, well, I have to give credit where credit's due. The first time I ever heard the phrase Yacht Rock was from a gentleman by the name of Hollywood Steve Huey, and he's the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast co-host. I interviewed him for the book. He was gracious enough to talk about that in the book. So, yeah, pretty much what that is is that it's artists that maybe approach Yacht Rock territory but aren't really quite Yacht Rock. Well, he actually talks a little bit about that in the book. For me personally... Like, for instance, there's a great band called the Yacht Rock Review. Right. And I really have to credit them. They're really the thing that really got my interest in the genre. Because uh, I saw them live and I was absolutely blown away. And then I realized that it was all these songs, When It Wonders, classic bands, whatever it was, it all kind of fit together. So I've seen them several times and they do all the Yacht Rock stuff. The last time I saw them, the song that got the biggest reaction from the crowd was uh, the song called Take Me Home Tonight. Yeah, and and I mean, I wouldn't think that he's a Yacht Rock artist, but that totally appealed to the whole crowd. You know, for purists, there's probably ones that there's like a line drawn in the sand. But for me, I kind of look at it. If it kind of all fits together stylistically or if it would all fit together in a playlist, then I'll kind of consider it together. So it's interesting to note that Yacht Rock, like everybody else, you know, what's punk rock, what's, you know, heavy metal, what's jazz, what's reggae, it's broken into the same, depends on who you ask, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it pretty much just depends on the person. I mean, if you're a Yacht Rock purist, then, yeah, there's going to be like a line in the sand that there's certain bands that fit on one side or the other. Yeah, the whole entire Yacht Rock thing, I first heard of that phrase from a gentleman by the name of Steve Huey, who goes by the nickname of Hollywood Steve, and he's the host of the Yacht Rock series. And what that means is that it's artists that come close to Yacht Rock but aren't really quite Yacht Rock. For me personally, how I discovered really the whole entire Yacht Rock thing was from a great band called the Yacht Rock Review, who I saw live, who I've actually seen live several times. Just by seeing them, I kind of realized how much I loved all this music and how it all kind of fit together. And uh, one of the last times I saw them, the songs that got the biggest reaction were songs from artists that are not considered to be purely Yacht Rock. For instance, they closed their set with Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. And then the song that got the biggest reaction that night was the song Take Me Home Tonight by the late, great Eddie Money. If I put together a playlist of all these songs, if it fits together, then I kind of look at it all as the same genre or the same style. But there are purists out there that consider Fleetwood Mac absolutely not to be Yacht Rock, but they consider Christopher Cross to be definitely Yacht Rock. And like you just brought up before, it's certain eras of, for instance, bands like the Doobie Brothers in the early 70s is not Yacht Rock, but as soon as Michael McDonald kind of takes control, of, then that is Yacht Rock. I guess it's up to the uh, listener to you know decide that on their own. Yeah, and one thing that's kind of interesting, you didn't speak with everybody, but you spoke to a lot of the musicians who seem a bit bewildered by the tag, it seems, too. I mean, accepting of it because it's a whole new start for them, but they seemed a little like, I don't know what it is. 
Yes, some of them seem to like it. Some of them don't. Some of the ones that weren't that crazy about it, when I spoke to John Oates, he didn't really know what to make of it. Kenny Loggins didn't really get it. Had they heard that phrase before? Yeah, I think that they had heard it, but they didn't know if it was complimentary or not. For instance, John Oates, I know he has played with the Yacht Rock Review, so he is aware of it. Just I, I guess he's not sure how he feels about it. When I interviewed Christopher Cross, this was like a good five or six years ago. That was just when the phrase was becoming popular. And uh, I remember telling him at the time, like, you should go out and either do cruises with like a bunch of artists or, you know, you should do tours. This style of music seems to be getting very popular. And, and I think he has embraced it somewhat over the years. I'm not 100 percent sure, but there are definitely artists that have embraced it. And uh, like you just said, it's obviously very smart because now they're playing to a whole larger audience and there's a whole new audience for this. That's right. So, I mean, I, I personally, as an outsider looking in, it's just completely positive. I don't see anything as being negative about it. You mentioned Toto. They seem to be at the center of a lot of it. In fact, one of the musicians in your book states pretty bluntly, if any of the guys from Toto played on it or helped write it, it is Yacht Rock. So they're certainly a cornerstone act. Yeah, I was lucky to interview David Pyack. He was the keyboardist for Toto, who wrote a lot of their classic songs. They were, at that point in the late 70s and also early 80s, they were just all over pop music. I mean, something that I tell people and some people know and some people are flabbergasted that it's Toto who played on the majority of Michael Jackson's Thriller album. Right, right. And it's also Steve Lukather, not Eddie Van Halen, playing the riff to the song Beat It. Some people think that it's Van Halen playing the whole entire song, but he just played the solo. That was Steve Lukather. But yeah, I, I would have to agree if Toto was involved in it and also if Michael McDonald sang on it. Well, another one that's really interesting is Daryl Dragon, who is the captain in Captain and Tennille. And, and he plays a central role, but not because of that band, although I, I think some people may consider them Yacht Rock, but it's rather his arranging skills and pedigree, right? Yes. He was a uh, very, very nice guy when I spoke with him. It's very sad to hear that he passed away. He was also a member of the uh, Beach Boys in the early 70s. The Beach Boys were so high on him, they wanted to make him an actual full-fledged member of the band, and he said no, which takes a lot of balls. But then to his credit, then he formed Captain and Tennille right after that, and they were you know, very, very popular in the uh, mid to late 70s. And the song Love Will Keep Us Together, of course. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's me. The anthem of the scene to me has to be Escape by Rupert Holmes, which is otherwise known as? Uh, <laughs> the Pina Colada song. Well, that's the one. Do you, do you know how that song came about? It is the earworm to end all earworms. Yes, there is a complete chapter in this book, which I have Rupert Holmes explaining the background of that whole song. One thing that I did not know, which I found to be very, very interesting about that, is originally the lyric in the song was not, if you like pina coladas, it was, if you like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> that obviously would not really roll off the tongue as well as that and uh, would not probably have uh, stood the test of time. It wouldn't play on cruise boats, that's for sure. Right, right, exactly. The whole story behind that song is absolutely fascinating. Uh, most of that song was written, I think, on the spot in a studio. He had a idea, but it wasn't until he actually went into the studio. And I believe it was the same studio, it's the studio that's part of Radio City Music Hall. That's the same studio that the Ramones recorded their first album. He also goes into how he came up with the lyrics and the storyline and how he wasn't sure if the storyline was even worth pursuing at one point. That's one of the standout stories of the Yacht Rock book, I would have to say. 
There are a bunch of them, and uh, we're talking with Greg Prado, who wrote the Yacht Rock book, The Oral History of the Soft, Smooth Sounds of the 70s and 80s. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Christopher Cross sailing. That is probably A1 or A2 in terms of maybe the content. It fits so well into the scene. Is that a king of the genre? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. For me personally, I always lean towards the song called Baker Street. That one, the song I always think of when I think of Yacht Rock because of the sax solo. And that song has a phenomenal guitar solo. In it. I don't even know who the hell played that. That is a major component of Yacht Rock, too, is that you don't know half the names of the guys who played in solos and memorable keyboard parts because they were, a majority of them were probably session musicians. Well, this seems like a very good place for me to thank you for your cast of characters in the opening, because I referred to that throughout the entire time I read the book. You know, I do not know the bass player from Player or the drummer for Orleans, so I went back to that (laughs) quite a few times. So that was essential. Thank you. So style comes to play a major role in the genre. I mentioned Christopher Cross sailing, and that album cover has to resonate with fans in the genre. You include some notable album covers in the photo section, and you give a a whole chapter over to art direction and design, which is my other job. Unfortunately, I cannot unsee the bare-chested hirsute Orleans and Pablo Cruz cover. So I just wanted to thank you also for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's something else that maybe you could say that a component also of Yacht Rock is to have a quasi-homoerotic album cover. Because if you think of the album covers that stick out the most, it's usually gentlemen who are are not wearing a shirt. And also, I'm staring right now at the Pablo Cruz Lifeline cover. It looks like they're all so sweaty and greased up as well. So I guess that has to do with it, too. Maybe I'll have to reevaluate the Christopher Cross album cover. (laughs) Another one is the fashion faux pas of the era was satin and polyester and pastel colors and, of course, facial hair. Do you think that those styles are returning within the yacht rock scene? Is it something that becomes a bit of a copycat thing? Well, I mean, I don't really see people walking down the street dressed like that. 
if you see the Yacht Rock Review Live, you uh, will see people wearing sailors' caps and also people dressing in the era of the 70s. But interestingly enough, one of the people I interviewed for the book was uh, was a gentleman by the name of Nicholas, and I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. It's like Neo Spani or something like that. He's one of the singers from the Yacht Rock Review, and he told me a pretty key part of the Yacht Rock outfit, which they have not been able to get, was uh, men's Capizio shoes. He said that either they don't make them or he hasn't been able to locate that, but he says he's always on the hunt for that. So if any readers know of any good places to get Capizio shoes, try to get in contact with the Out Rock Review guys. Well, hopefully uh, the polyester doesn't come back. But uh, and, and, you know, the beard thing that's going on now seems to be probably more reminiscent of the early California thing. So maybe we've still got some fun stuff to watch mutate. You mentioned Hollywood Steve Huey, and, and he's one of the eminently quotable characters in your book. You've talked a little bit about who he is. Is he one of the resident experts, or is he a musician? The first time I ever uh, heard about him is he and I wrote for the All Music site at about the same time. It was in the late 90s. That's when I first heard of him, and that's when I first started reading his writings. It just so happens that he was the host of the Yacht Rock web series. And I was able to track him down for the book. And yeah, I agree that as far as being a complete expert of the genre, I would say he's up there. And also I would say Nicholas, the singer from the Yacht Rock Review, is also a gentleman who knows a lot about the genre. Yeah, I forgot. And I would also recommend to all of our listeners the Yacht Rock web series. It's, what are they, five or six minutes long? But they are absolutely hysterical. Absolutely. Find those on YouTube, folks, that it is absolutely hilarious. I was in stitches. The other thing Hollywood Steve has is he has some very, very strong thoughts on Jimmy Buffett, who <laughs> I thought would have been a king in the genre, but apparently not. Yeah, as far as Yacht Rock discussion, I, for some reason, I never think of Jimmy Buffett. Like, he doesn't pop into my mind. And the times that I've seen the Yacht Rock review, to the best of my knowledge, don't remember hearing them do a Jimmy Buffett song. So Interesting. Yeah, I, I would have thought so, but that's more playing into the style and character of the thing rather than the music, you know? Yeah. So you talk a lot about the Yacht Rock review and lead singer Nicholas Pazani <laughs> is another one of the great quotable characters in your book. What I was amazed at is a lot of the original quote unquote rock yacht players have sat in with them and are really blown away about their musicianship and their passion. Mm -hmm. I think some of them may have approached it a little bit uh, weary because they didn't know if Yacht Rock Review was kind of goofing on them or if they were taking it seriously. I think that they do a fantastic job totally replicating the sound, the look, and everything of that era. I think that those artists would be foolish not to try to hook up with the Yacht Rock Review and try to join them on stage because by doing so, you're totally turning yourself on to a whole new audience that probably knows the song but can't put the song with a face. So at least by that way, they'll probably check out more of your music. Yeah, and the interesting thing, and I don't know, I'm sure it just happened organically, but with the explosion of cover acts as a whole, they tour a lot and there's just a huge demand to see some of these bands, even if they're not the real thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a great Queen tribute band here on Long Island called Almost Queen, who I've seen a bunch of times, and they're fantastic as Queen in the 70s. One of the things that Nicholas, who's the singer for Yacht Rock Review, I'm not going to try his last name again, <laughs> but I thought he really nailed it when he said, with Spotify and playlists and short attention spans, this music is custom made for the now. What do you think of that? I think he hits the nail on the head 100%. I'm going to right now be bold. I'm, I'm going to attempt to pronounce his last name. <laughs> I'm going to go with Neos Podziani. Nicholas, if you're listening, why don't you call and give us the rating on how he pronounced right. that? <laughs> but honestly, no, I, I think that has a huge thing to do with it. It seems like nowadays, newer 
music listeners are more keyed into listening to certain songs rather than bands. I mean, for instance, I have a daughter who is now uh, eight years old, and I know she really just listens to certain songs. Like, it's not really like a band that she wants to hear all the all, all the songs from. They're more tuned into just certain songs. So, you know, if they hear something from a yacht rock band they may like, they may want to just listen to a yacht rock playlist rather than, well, let me go check out the whole entire Hotel California album, you know? Right. And, you know, I've often thought that maybe we've returned to the 50s in the sense that it's a it's a singles-oriented market these days. And, you know, we'll see whether the, the album comes back as whole. But this phenomenon has seemed to transcend a generation for sure. I could see that. I could also see the viewpoint of how much vinyl now has come back in popularity and people collecting albums. So maybe for the younger generation, it's more singles and not album type things. When I think of some of my favorite albums, like I want to hear Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger from beginning to end. I don't want to just hear like two songs, you know? Right. You know, but then again, we're talking about as far as Yacht Rock, I would probably rather hear a Yacht Rock playlist where it's a variety of bands rather than just whole entire albums by Hall & Oates and the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and everything. Well, some of them certainly demand. I mean, I'm that way with Dylan and Blood on the Tracks. I've listened to that thousands of times, but you know, every time I hear it, it's just the whole album experience, you know? Yeah. Interestingly, a bunch of the musicians point to MTV as something that helped transition Yacht Rock out of popularity in back in the day because of the focus on visuals rather than the songwriting and musicianship. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that to a certain degree. Artists like Christopher Cross... It seemed like those artists, if you did not look like Duran Duran during that 80, 82 through 89 or early 90s period, uh, well, you could say really pretty much up to, I guess, grunge, you had to uh, look like Brett Michaels. Or George Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had to look like George Michaels if you were a pop singer, or, or you had to look like Brett Michaels if you were a uh, glam metalist. I guess really just Hall & Oates uh, were probably one of the few bands that could make the transition into the MTV age. And I know John Oates really bristled at the blue-eyed soul term as well, so maybe he just doesn't like to be pigeonholed. True, true. John Oates has sat in at least one time with the Yacht Rock Review, so I guess maybe he likes certain aspects of Yacht Rock. Yeah, and like I said earlier, you know, a lot of the folks that sat in with Yacht Rock Review were just, you know, blown away by their musicianship. So I guess at some point, if you're a player and you get into that, you get overwhelmed by the musicianship, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. So speaking of musicians... Ron Moss is in your cast of characters. He is the bass player for Player. Yes. Who had one song, right? What was their hit? Uh, Their big hit song was the number one hit, Baby Come Back. That's it. That's it. Yes. But Ron Moss compared Yacht Rock and its detractors to Starbucks. And he said everybody loved them at first, but when they become ubiquitous, it's, oh, oh no, turn it off, turn it off. I think that's probably true. It could be. Think of what pop radio was like in the late 70s, early 80s. It was pretty safe. I can't think of any really daring type of band that was being played at that point. I mean, there was no way you were going to ever hear like Sex Pistols on the radio or something like that. Right, right. But, you know, you're going to hear a lot of Christopher Cross. You're going to hear a lot of Toto. And, you know, I mean, I am a fan of theirs. I I don't want to say that, that it's safe as like a, you know, bad thing. Yeah, I guess just after a while, you just don't want to hear the same thing. You know, you don't want to hear heavy metal for 10 years. You don't want to hear jazz for 10 years. You want to, at some point, listen to different things. Spotify is so popular is you just make up a playlist or you say, you know, play Rolling Stones radio and you'll hear a Rolling Stones song, but then also four or five other artists, so you get a pretty good mix. So I think, you know, that has to do with it as well. Well, it seems to have replaced the art of mixtape making that we used to do as kids. Yes. You mentioned Fleetwood Mac, and I know they're one that my daughter's generation 
they love. You know, you can see it with like the high woman coming back and doing the chain and that's huge. And it just seems that, you know, some of it comes back around good music always finds an audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I did not think of the band America when we were talking about some proto yacht rock bands. And that's a band that came out in the early seventies and they are, I think a yacht rock type or at least a proto yacht rock band. Yeah, that reminds me of one of the great memes on Facebook about how they said you've been out in the desert and you couldn't find a name for your horse. <laughs> I always laugh when, when that one pops up in my feed. Um, at the beginning when we were speaking, I mentioned a piece in the Guardian newspaper. The Guardian author I referred to early on closed out by saying, and I quote, like an upmarket wine or a pricier cheese, these records just get better, more appreciated, more valuable with time. It sounds like we're stuck with the alt rock, but it also echoes the thoughts we just had about good music through the ages, finding its audience, finding different people. I'm always uh, the believer in quality material from artists to stand the test of time. There's a reason why this quote-unquote yacht rock has become very, very popular. Again, it's because the quality was still very good. I can listen to Devo. I can listen to Christopher Cross. I can listen to Soundgarden. I can listen to the Eagles. I'm also a firm believer that each genre has its really good artists that are trailblazers and helped solidify that genre. And there's a bunch of bands that copied it that we just pretty much forget about. You can pretty much name any genre, keep going on and on and on, and there's going to be good artists and also bad artists. And I'm always a firm believer that each genre, no matter what, has its uh, keeper artists. I think that's very uh, spot on. And I'm going to leave us on the subject of Yacht Rock. With the words of Kenny Loggins from your book, feel free to jump in afterwards. But he says, quote, who's to say or who's to explain what pop culture does or why it does it? It's true. You can never predict what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. That's, I guess, the beauty of it. The year 1991, there's absolutely no one on planet Earth that could have predicted we would start the year with Poison and Motley Crue. And at the end of the year, no one would want anything to do with hair metal. And it was all about Nirvana and Soundgarden. Right. And also in 1991, I'm sure there's no one that would have predicted that Seattle would have been so focused on by, by the end of the year. You can never pinpoint when something is going to happen. You can't really predict these things. That's what makes music so great. And that's why people keep listening and why you check out new bands and also revisit older bands as well. So I guess it's just buckle up and get on the yacht then, right? Absolutely. <laughs> We've been speaking today with Greg Prado, the Yacht Rock book, the oral history of the soft, smooth sounds of the 70s and 80s. I know you've got a couple of new books out that are very different from Yacht Rock, right? Yes. This past year, I was a very busy gentleman. I put out, if you could believe it, four books. Wow. Yeah, so for the uh, book, Take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked, it's a book that is about the non-makeup era of Kiss from 1983 through 1996. And I interviewed people such as ex-Kiss guitarist Bruce Kulick, I also interviewed Ace Frehley for the book, as well as producers of the Kiss albums from that era and also fans of the band. So that comes out November 19th. I also put out a self-published book just about a month ago called Dark Black and Blue, The Soundgarden Story. They remain one of my favorite bands of all time. I still am saddened by the death of Chris Cornell. I think he was a fantastic singer and an incredible talent. When the, the whole sad news broke of Chris passing away, I had difficulty really even listening to Soundgarden because it was a band that I held so near and dear to my heart. I figured by doing a book, it would maybe help put things in perspective a little bit, and I'm lucky that it did. And I also put out another self-published book earlier in the summer. It was called Facts on Tracks, Stories Behind 100 Rock Classics, and pretty much what the title says, that's what you can expect from the book. The first book I put out, and the last one I'll talk about this year, is called King's X, The Oral History, and that is about one of the great underrated rock bands of all time, King's X, for that book. I interviewed a bunch of people like Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam, 
Mick Mars from Motley Crue, Andy Summers from The Police, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins, and even Paul Schaefer is a big King's X fan. So I would say uh, anyone who's not familiar with King's X, if you like melodic hard rock with a bit of a Beatles edge, I highly recommend King's X. And that book is called King's X, The Oral History. Wow, that's impressive. We go from Yacht Rock to Unmasked Kiss. You know, but honestly, that sums up with what I was saying before, is that, uh, you know, me and just about everyone that I know, from my parents through my daughter, everyone that I pretty much know nowadays listens to a a wide variety of styles of music, which I personally think is a a great thing. Like, why would you want to just listen to one style? You should listen to a little bit of everything. And you should read everything from Greg Prato. This has been the Yacht Rock book. The Oral History of the Soft Smooth Sounds of the 70s and 80s. And I have a couple of those new books you have. I'll put them on the top of the stack, and maybe we can get you back on to talk about them. Absolutely. Sounds good, Steve. Thank you so much, Greg. No problem. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to find out more about his book, please visit allmusicbooks.com, and you can buy it through our site. You can also check out the rest of our Deep Dive episodes there. I'd like to thank our engineer, Steve Folsom. Finally, a big shout out to Frankie and the Pool Boys for their one-of-a-kind music played throughout this podcast. You can check them out at frankieandthepoolboys.bandcamp.com and on all the major streaming services. Please support your local and independent musicians and writers. We're out until the next time, and thanks again for tuning into Deep Dive, an all-music books podcast. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.